Well, if you would turn uh, with me in your Bibles to Psalm uh, 1. Uh, but what we're going to do just in a moment when, you, when you've turned there is we are going to read the psalm together. Um, and the words are, um, they're not on the screen. I thought I put them on there, but I didn't. But it, we'll still read it together. Uh, so I'm using the NIV um, 2011 version, which I think most of you have, so we'll still try this anyway. Um, so we'll read Psalm 1 together as a congregation. So the Psalms were written to be uh, sung or spoken together, uh, so we will read them together. So Psalm 1 uh, from verse 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked, They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Thank you. Well, I've called uh, this sermon The Way of Worship. The Way of Worship. Uh, In the world in which we exist, everything works better when it is used in the way that it was made to be used. So to illustrate this, a number of years ago, uh, when when we lived in Devon, uh, I was uh, called to preach in a church, and I had to drive there, but the rain was like some of the rain that we've seen this last couple of weeks, where it is hammering it down, and you can kind of hear it loudly on the roof of your house. And when it rains like that, not just in Devon, but everywhere in our country, there are puddles. And some of those puddles are kind of just little puddles that you'd let your toddler jump in, but some of those puddles are big. And as I was driving along to church, uh, I drove my car into one of those big puddles. Uh, I thought I'd be fine. I drove and I kept going. And as I kept going, the water was coming further and further up. And I lifted my foot off the accelerator, put it back down, and water got sucked into my engine and the engine cut off in the middle of the puddle. As it happened, I had left my phone at home that day, as I tend to do quite a lot, and I was stuck in the middle of a puddle, trying to figure out how am I going to get to church and preach. So I stepped out of the car, and the only thing I could do was be knee-deep in the puddle, walk out of the puddle and just wait for some other poor soul to come so I could warn them about the puddle and hope they had a mobile phone. They had a mobile phone. Uh, I rang home. Uh, Paula tried to ring church. No one in church had their phones on because the service was supposed to start, but everyone was wondering, where is the preacher? 
But eventually, someone was contacted. They found out what had happened, and I was come and picked up. But the car was written off. I had to get a new engine. Why? Because cars are not designed to go in the water. Sometimes, having moved up here, I do see cars from time to time in the canal, <laughs> believe it or not. Uh, where we live, they've had to put up big bollards to stop people joyriding and riding in the canal. Cars don't work in the canal. Fish, on the other hand, they thrive in the canal, but they wouldn't thrive on the road. Cars are designed to be driven on the road. Fish are designed to live in the water. Human beings are designed to live under God's rule. We may survive for a time not living under his rule, rebelling against him, but we will not thrive, and in the end, we will not survive. If we decide to live in rebellion against God, we are a bit like a beached whale. We are okay for a time, but eventually we won't be, for a whale is designed to live in the sea. And that idea of living under God's rule, as we are designed to, is the way that we could think of the word blessed. A word that is at the very beginning of Psalm 1, and a word that comes up a lot in Scripture. Jesus began his Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes, blessings. And so the Psalms begin with the same word, blessed. To be blessed is more than being happy. Jesus said, blessed are they that mourn. To be blessed is to have God's favor upon us as we live under him. We can therefore even mourn and be blessed as we live in a way that experiences the joy of the Lord even in mourning because we are living under God in a way that we are made to live. The person who is blessed has God's favor on them. The person who has God's favor on them is included in the people of God. And the people of God are those whose songs we are looking at in the Psalter. Psalms 1 and 2 stand outside of book 1, really. They are the entrance to the Psalter. They stand like two posts upon which hang a gate into which we enter into the worship of God through singing these songs. Psalms 1 and 2 are the gateway into the Psalter. The Psalter is the, the music of God's people. It is the worship of God and only God's people can really sing them. Only God's people can truly worship God. And so Psalms 1 and 2 show us how to be part of God's people through God's word, Psalm 1, and God's king, Psalm 2. Psalm 2 will show us how we must have faith in God's king, who in the New Testament we'll see is Jesus. But we can only know this king through the word of God revealing him to us. In the words of the Apostle Paul, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so the Psalter begins by showing us the importance of the word of God, or in the title of this sermon, it shows us the way of worship. And Psalm 1 presents us with two ways 
Notice the word way appears three times in Psalm 1. It means the way we live our life, the rule by which we live. And the psalm teaches us that there are really only two ways. There is the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. Or the way of blessing or the way of destruction. Or in the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, there is the narrow gate or the broad gate. There is the way of wisdom and the way of foolishness. Only one will lead to life and entitle you to be part of this musical that ends in glory. And the encouragement of this psalm is to be on the right way. The psalm is broken into two sections, showing us two ways, the way of blessing and the way of destruction. And so first of all, in verses 1 to 3, we see the blessed way of the righteous. The blessed way of of the righteous. So the psalm begins with the word blessed. We've seen what that means. It is living under God's rule as we are made to live, living according to our design. But it's worth pointing out here that blessing here is the result of their way of life, not the reward of it. We are not given blessing as something we deserve, Rather, blessing is the result of living according to what we'll see in this psalm. So, for example, if I go running in order to get fit, and I get fitter, the fitness is not a reward that I'm given, but it's a result of the training. You see the difference there? Blessing is not a reward for good behavior. It is rather the result of godliness. Hopefully this will make sense as we go. How is someone blessed then? Well, we're shown two sides to the coin of of blessing. The first side is, is how a blessed person is defined by what they don't do. And the second side is by what they do do. (laughs) So first of all, the blessed person does not walk in step with the wicked. Notice that in verse 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked. The word wicked here is the opposite of righteous. Uh, When we think of the word wicked, what we tend to think of is people that are really bad. Like, not us, but someone really bad. But what the word actually means is it's a declaration in a court. It is someone that is defined as wicked in a court of law. So, for example, if you were to be stealing something and you go to court and the evidence is presented and you are shown to have stolen, like it's on the CCTV, you're banged to rights, in a court you are declared wicked. It is a a fact. It's not something that people might think about you, it's a fact. You are wicked. Just like we'll see righteousness, being righteous is a declaration too. And the wicked here are guilty of breaking God's law. To associate with them means to be listening to them. To be changing your thinking to their way of thinking. That's what it means to walk in step with them. To walk in step with them is to be going along in their way. But it's progressing. Look at the next sentence. So blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or... Stand 
in the way that sinners take. So whilst wicked is more of a legal judgment, sinners are those whose behavior is dominated by sin. The difference between wicked and sinner is like the difference between a one-off theft and a career criminal. To stand in their way is not obstructing them, but rather to begin to follow the same path that they take. It's to begin to actually behave like they behave. It's not just to associate a bit with them, but it's to start to act like them. And you'll see here that the walking has become a standing. And then there's this final progression that the blessed person does not take. It says, they do not walk in the step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. A mocker is someone that has a disdain for right living. They laugh at those who live right. They are blatantly and publicly sinning without restraint or care. So there's a progression from being declared wicked and to behaving sinfully to a public disdain for right living. They just don't care. It's, it's like the difference between sinning and knowing you should hide it to sinning and not caring at all. And so the, the, the people, the, the depth of depravity has progressed, but so too has the way of association with these people because we've moved from walking to standing to sitting. And when someone sits, it's more permanent. I mean, you know this when someone comes to your house, don't you? If they sit down, you know they're there for a while. Which sometimes is a good thing and sometimes not so much. But to sit in their company means not only do you act like them, but now you have an allegiance to them. They are now your people. And so notice the downward progression here into sin. It takes you from bad to worse. And so here's how it might play out for us. First, you begin to listen to evil things or to laugh at sin and what sinful people get up to. You might admire from a distance a celebrity that is ungodly. You might watch movies or listen to music that glorifies sin or depravity. And all the while you think, well, I'm kind of immune from that kind of thing. I stand aside from it. But you are walking in their way because you're kind of participating by watching and listening and thinking. But then it moves on because you begin to behave like that which you are watching and listening to or those people you're hanging out with. You begin to stand with them in this sense. You begin to go their way. And then you begin to participate in their jokes. You're heavily involved in their parties. Their attitude becomes your attitude. You pick up their habits. And then you take that step even further. You leave God behind and you ally yourself with people who have no interest in God because you'll feel stupid if you're not sitting with them because mockers mock, don't they? And ultimately, you become just like they are and you have walked away from God. And you don't intend 
to end there. That's not where the intention was at the beginning when you walked in their way. But that is the spiral that sin takes us down. And haven't we seen this kind of thing happen many times? Where people have chosen the world instead of Jesus? People have had one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world and think that, well, that's okay. One foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world is, is in the world. It's not the way to blessing. Now, the enemy will tell you that it is the way to blessing. You'll be happier this way. The, the wicked and the sinners and the mockers will draw you along and tell you how great their life is often hiding the fact that it isn't as great as they make it out to be. But it's not the way of blessing. The blessed person does not go that way. So we have to be careful who we associate with. Now, it's not to say we've got to cut off people who are not Christians. Of course we don't do that. We have family and work colleagues and friendships. But it does mean that we cannot walk in step with them. We cannot think like they think, or behave like they behave, or participate in sin like they do, and sometimes even go to places they go. Now, some of you might be thinking, yeah, but wasn't Jesus a friend of sinners? Yes, he was, but what a friend of sinners means was that he was offering them salvation in his name. It doesn't mean he, he was participating in everything they did. He didn't act like them or think like them. On the contrary, as a friend of sinners, offering them salvation, when people followed him, they began to act and think like Jesus, not the other way around. Our friendship with the world should be defined by our offer of the gospel. They should know we are Christians. They should know it in things we say and the way that we act. This means that you will stand out. Notice here, uh, how the NIV has the phrase, blessed is the one who is blessed. Blessed is the one. There is one, and it is a singular word. Or blessed is the man, it's a, an individual. But the words for wicked and sinners and mockers are plural. Even with mockers, there's a company of them. The company of mockers. There are a lot of them. And Jesus said, there are few that find the narrow way, the blessed person will stand out from the crowd. We feel comfortable here in church. We'll see in the assembly of the righteous, but we all go out into the world and we stand alone. At school, you will stand alone. At work, you will stand alone. For some of us in our families, we stand alone. There aren't other Christians. It's hard, isn't it? It's not easy to, to be the one, but it is the way to blessing. But today, the, a lot of the wicked and the sinners and the mockers are on the internet. We have to be careful what we are not being influenced by wickedness. In the movies that we watch, in the music that we listen to, that glorifies sin, whether that be greed or sex or violence, I'm not saying exactly what you should and shouldn't watch. What I'm saying is we've got to be careful that we aren't going in step with the wicked or the, the way that sinners take or the company of mockers. 
because you are not immune from being impacted on what you take in. And I've said it from here many times, I think, because we said it when I worked in IT all the time. Rubbish in means rubbish out. Be careful. Those ways are not the ways of blessing. However, the blessed person is not only defined by what they don't do, there is a contrast. Notice verse 2 begins with the word but. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Now the law of the Lord in the psalm meant the first five books of the Old Testament, the Jewish law, and it also means the Psalter, divided into the five books like the law of Moses. There is a, a correlation there. But for us as God's people today, the law of the Lord can take, be taken to mean the whole of the Scriptures, all of our Bibles, the inspired Word of God. And if we want to be blessed, we're not only defined by what we don't do, we are defined as those who delight in the law of the Lord. To delight means not just to comply. It's not a legalism where we might read it or obey it because we have to. No, to delight means that we are eager to know God and to know his ways, to know the way of blessing as we joyfully seek him. That's what it means to delight. A person who delights in God's law, in verse 2, meditates on it day and night. Uh, the word for meditate literally means to mutter aloud. Someone reading it and, uh, and, and speaking the words, muttering them, to try and ingrain them in their mind, to think upon, to work out how to put it into practice, to pray over. And we do so day and night. Now, some people take this literally and, it, and, and think, well, this means that I have to have a morning and evening devotion. And that's a good practice to be in, by the way. And whilst that's helpful, that's not what this necessarily means. This is poetry, okay, not regulations. What the day and night here means, it's a poetic way of saying the law of the Lord is constantly in our hearts. Uh, the way to look at it is, is like a computer program that is always running in the background. So on your, on your phones, you will have uh, like a clock that tells you the time. That program that runs that is always going in the background. You don't have to, to call it up. It's just always there, isn't it? And like a program running in the background of our lives is the, is the law of the Lord to the Christian. It should just be in our hearts. It's, it's, it's there. We are people of the word. Now, that means we must read it and think over it and put it into practice. But day and night means as we delight in the word of God, it becomes ingrained within us. Well, in verse 3, the psalmist then illustrates what the blessed person who delights in God's law is like. So the writer uses a simile in this poem. He says that person is like a tree, a tree. Now, a tree is, is strong and firm and permanent. It, it lasts, doesn't it? But that person is like a tree that is planted. Notice it's planted. A planted tree does not grow in its place naturally. It's been placed there by the gardener. And so God has chosen us and planted us to be a strong 
and permanent tree in his kingdom. And in order for us to thrive in the place that we are planted, God places us by streams of water. In order to thrive, a tree needs to have water. And the blessed person who delights in God's law is like that strong tree that God has placed by the streams because the stream is the word, you see? As we delight in God's word, that is nourishing us. It is enriching us. It is giving us all that we need to grow and produce fruit. God's law that we delight in is that, that, that water of life that we need to grow. Now, trees obviously, um, well, they are alive, but they don't speak. But if a tree could speak, it would speak of how much it loves the water it's by. Because the water gives it life and nourishment. And as God's people, he places us by the streams of water, by giving us his word. And as the tree is planted by those streams of water, as God's, uh, as God's people delight in his word, there are three results that come from it. Notice these three results in verse 3. Three results in verse 3. First of all, it yields fruit in its season. That's the first result of delighting in God's word. Fruitfulness uh, speaks of the fruit of godliness that comes from delighting in the word of God. As we delight in God's word, we become more like God. In the New Testament language, that fruit is the fruit of the Spirit or the fruit of righteousness or the fruit of people being saved. And the fruit is in its season because it's appropriate and it's distinctive. Uh, Spurgeon gives examples of what in season means. He says, It is patience in times of suffering, faith in the day of trial, and holy joy in the hour of prosperity. It's enabling us to live as we ought to live in the time in which we live, in the circumstances in which we live. As we're delighting in God's word, when circumstances come our way for good or bad, we respond appropriately. We yield fruit in season, you see? That's the first result. The second result its leaf does not wither. Uh, it's cool that I'm doing this sermon during autumn when we're seeing withering leaves all over the place. Um, some of you may be frustrated in your gardens with having to constantly be clearing up leaves that have withered. Uh, some of you might enjoy that work. Uh, we do like to look at the different colors and things like that, but leaves on trees generally wither. They die. But this tree does not wither which speaks of an evergreen, everlasting tree, one which lasts. It speaks of a tree that effectively is forever young. Now, this is not saying that we will be forever young physically. But the New Testament does speak of us being inwardly renewed day by day, doesn't it? As God's word nourishes us, our our leaf does not wither. And our spiritual life does not wither. It grows and it carries on into eternity. That's the second result. So the first is fruit in season. Secondly is leaf that does not wither. And thirdly, whatever they do prospers. Now the word for prosper here does not mean become rich. To to prosper, the word means to fulfill the purpose to which you are made. So again, it's like being blessed, isn't it? The purpose to which we are made, as we've said, 
is to live as God made us to live, fulfilling his plans and purposes for our lives. And as we delight in his word and we obey his word and we follow Jesus, we prosper because we are living out the life he made us to live. We want to be blessed, don't we? We want to have life as it was meant to be. Then we must be those who delight in his word. We can judge our spiritual state by asking, what is the word of God to us? Are you reading your Bibles? We need to find time in our day to do that, to delight in his word. I'd encourage you, even do it first thing, so that you don't get overtaken by other things. And as you open up your Bibles, meditate on them. That may mean literally muttering them aloud, reading it aloud. But really it means thinking through what God says, thanking him for it, thinking over what sin has been highlighted in your life and confessing that to God. It means putting into practice what it says and thinking about how you can do that. It means praying over the words that you read. The word of God is God's means to God's blessing. So seek him in it. Delight in him, in his word. That is what the way of the righteous is. That is the way to blessing. So we're blessed by what we don't do, but also by what we do, delighting in God's word. And so maybe just from hearing tonight, you might want to begin again to pick up your Bibles and to be reading them and thinking through them. There's no blessing, by the way, without doing that. So, first of all, we've seen the blessed way of the righteous, but secondly, we come to the destructive way of the wicked. The contrast comes in verse 4. Look at how verse 4 puts it so uh, tersely, really. It says, Not so the wicked. Not so the wicked. They are not blessed. They are not like the tree who is bearing fruit not withering and prospering. They're not like that at all. They are like something else entirely. Look at verse 4. They are like the chaff that the wind blows away. Chaff is about as opposite as a strong, firm tree as you can get. When grain was being gathered, the chaff was the unwanted husks. And they were gotten rid of by winnowing. So the grain would be thrown up into the air And the heavier grain would fall to the ground and the wind would blow the husks away. And then they were gathered and they were burned. They were gotten rid of. The chaff is, 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 is rootless. The chaff is fruitless. The chaff is worthless. The chaff is weightless. The chaff is destroyed. But notice also in verse 4, just... How terse it is. The the psalmist labors over this lovely picture of the tree. Do you notice that in verse 3? But in verse 4, not so the wicked, they like the chaff that the wind blows away. It's a short sentence to show the shortness of the life of the wicked. All that the wicked have, all that they have achieved, all will be blown away into nothingness, never to be seen again. It is so very sad, isn't it? And it's the reality of all those that reject God. And remember, wickedness is not just really bad people. It is a declaration of those who reject God. 
It's basically what you and me are or were. When if, if in verse 3 we see the result of delighting in God's law, in verse 5 we see the result of rejecting it. Verse 5 begins with therefore, and there are two results. Firstly, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. Do you notice that? The wicked will not stand in the judgment. Unlike the righteous who stand like a tree, strong and firm, the wicked will fall. And the judgment here, it refers to God's judgment over all peoples. Every one of us here today, every one of you, bar none, will stand before God one day. Everyone. And if we are judged as wicked, guilty of sin, we will not stand in the judgment. That's the first consequence. But the second is found in the second half of verse 5. Look at what it says. So they, the, the first, they will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. This is the first time the word righteous is used, and like wicked, it is a legal standing, declared right with God. God says, you are righteous. It's like being in court, you've been charged with theft, but you're not on the CCTV because you didn't do it. And so the court says, righteous. They didn't do it. In the beginning of the psalm, we see the righteous person standing alone in the company of mockers. But here, look at the difference. There is an assembly of the righteous. Assembly is an Old Testament word, which in the New Testament can be translated as church. There is a great congregation here of God's people that at the end of time are standing. So on Judgment Day, there is an assembly of those who have been declared right with God. But the wicked are excluded from that assembly. Do you see that? So on this side of judgment, there are times when the, the righteous are excluded and they are cast aside and they are rejected, but coming, there is coming a day when the sinners are excluded, when they will not be in the company or the assembly of the righteous. In the context of the Psalter, though, the sinners then cannot sing these songs. They are not able to be in the congregation of people worshipping God. They don't belong there. This, the songs here in this Psalter are written for the righteous to sing. But furthermore, an, an, an earthly consequence of walking and standing and sitting with the wicked sinners and mockers means that you are excluded from being a member of the church. That's why we exercise church discipline here. We are saying you are wicked. You are not part of the righteous. There is a social consequence to sin, isn't there? You cannot stand in the assembly or the church of the righteous. And whilst this is true of the local church, so it is true in the final judgment. The sinner may well have had company once. They may well have got into a big group and mocked Christians, and that does happen, doesn't it? There are nations which try to kill Christians. There are groups that try to mock Christians. We'll see them at the beginning of Psalm 2, conspiring in vain against God. But one day, they will find that they are excluded from the great congregation of God's people. 
It is far better, therefore, and I want you to listen carefully to this, especially if you are at school. It is far better, therefore, to be excluded from an earthly company now and be able to stand in the great congregation on the day of judgment. And that's true for all of us. Even if we have to face exclusion from our families, even if that comes, it is better by far to stand in the great congregation. And that's why also it's wonderful to be able to stand in this congregation and be in a family when we could be excluded from elsewhere. Well, our final verse, verse 6, gives us the reason the wicked won't stand. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. The Lord watching over, this is a lovely uh, phrase actually, he watches over means he cares for his own as they are on that way. And he brings them along on the way. With God's help, with God watching over you, Christian, as you delight in his word, you will make it because the Lord is watching over you. Isn't that a comfort? It's not all down to you, don't worry. The Lord is watching over you. You will make it. But the way of the wicked is very different. Notice how the two sentences begin differently. In the first sentence, the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. So the way of the righteous is the way of God. The righteous are not their own. It begins with the Lord. But the second sentence doesn't begin with the Lord. It begins with the way of the wicked. And that's because the way of the wicked is their own way. They are their own lords. They are the author of their own fate. They are marching towards their own destruction. It's their own way. This is illustrated by the fact that one of the most popular songs at funerals is Frank Sinatra's song, My Way. And it's a sad epitaph that speaks the truth that people who choose that song will never forget and always regret. The destruction here ultimately means hell. Separation from God for eternity. And so the choice is yours to make. You can be blessed for eternity or you can suffer destruction for eternity. There's two ways. There's the blessed way of the righteous or there's the destructive way of the wicked. Now Jesus taught the same truth as Psalm 1 in the New Testament, didn't he? We read this earlier in the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus ended his sermon effectively with the beginning of the Psalter. <laughs> and he spoke of the narrow gate that leads to life and the broad gate that leads to destruction, or the narrow way and the broad way. He spoke of the wise and the foolish builders who faced the storm of God's judgment. And the one who stood was the one whose life was based on the words of Christ. But Jesus did not just teach these words. Jesus is the blessed one of this psalm. He never sinned. He always delighted in his Father's will. He was always fruitful in season. He always prospered in fulfilling what he was called to do. He walked this righteous way, even though it contained much suffering and mockery 
and standing out from the crowd, ultimately on the cross, standing or hanging alone. And if we think about it, and we don't need to think too hard, we know, don't we, that we are not the blessed one? I'm not the blessed one, because I read verse 1 and I've seen how I have done these things. I have failed. I have not delighted in God's word as I ought to have. So how can I enter the Psalter? How can I sing these songs? How can I worship God? How can I be blessed? The answer, through Jesus, the blessed one. Although Jesus walked the way of the righteous, which God watched over, Jesus suffered the fate of the wicked. On the cross, he suffered hell to pay the price for our sin. And Jesus rose from the dead, showing the price has been paid. And when we believe that Jesus has died for my sin and he has risen from the dead and we ask God to forgive us, he will forgive our sin. We'll see that in many Psalms to come. And he will do this. He will declare us as righteous because Jesus paid for our sin. And he will bring us into the assembly of the righteous. And he will empower us by the Holy Spirit to walk on that path, the way of the righteous, bearing fruit, not withering, but prospering. And he will bring us all the way to the new Jerusalem. Through Jesus, we are truly blessed. And so as we come to study the Psalter together, let us do so with delight. Let us delight that we have entered this place of worship in God's word and as the assembly of the righteous in Pelsall, let us delight that God has brought us to this place of worship and let us delight through these words of life that we will read together over the next 150 Psalms. This should delight us because this is God's word. Well, we're going to finish by singing a final uh, hymn. Our final hymn is, In Christ Alone, My Hope is Found. For without Christ, we would go the way of the wicked. But because of Christ and what he has done, we find ourselves in the assembly of the righteous. So let's stand and praise God for what he has done through Christ.
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen.